0: Well, yesterday I got talked into doing something that we usually don't do. Uh, we set up our Christmas tree. Um, I don't know if any of you guys uh, are, are like me, but I've always been kind of the person that says, hey, we're not allowed to do anything Christmas until after Thanksgiving. You know, um, I used to always joke with Kim every time we would think about it. I would say it's too soon. It's too soon. Uh, you know, we got to let Thanksgiving have its day. We gotta, we gotta, you we got to have that time for Thanksgiving. But it seems like that's the case nowadays um, in our culture, and in, in, in especially in the, mar- the way marketing is done, that as soon as Halloween passes by, what happens? It's immediately Christmas season, um, and everything begins to change. The sales ads start to come out. The decorations show up in the stores at Lowe's, Hobby Lobby, wherever you happen to shop. You'll start to see more trees, Christmas trees out, and more things to buy. Um, you know, and and maybe that's why we're having all this cold weather lately. It's because we started setting up for Christmas too soon. But, you know, I thought about that, and I've been praying and thinking through um, Christmas. And what I I really feel like the Lord told me um, is this, we don't make enough of Christmas. When you really think about it, we don't make enough of Christmas. I'm not talking about decorations. I'm not talking about needing to buy more gifts. What I'm talking about is this. We when we think of Christmas, we think of um, peaceful holidays and family gatherings and singing uh, Holly Jolly Christmas and decking the halls and buying gifts and wrapping all these kind of things. And in the process, um, we have often turned Christmas into this happy domesticated holiday, when in reality, when we think about what Christmas is, we can easily forget that Christmas Was the turning point in a raging spiritual war for the souls of all mankind? We don't make enough of Christmas. It's kind of like this, you know, when 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 you look through history, and you look at the uh, the the major wars that took place over the course of history. Historians like to write about those battles that took place that seemed to turn the point, to turn the, the tide in the war. You know what I'm talking about? If you've studied history, if you watch TV shows about it, you'll oftentimes see these stories that are about those particular battles that took place, for instance, in Revolutionary War. Many would say it was the Battle of Saratoga. In the Civil War, many would tell you that it was the Battle of Gettysburg. In World War II, it might be that people would say that it's D-Day. And I got to thinking about the course of history. Over the course of of the entirety of our history, um, what are those events that seem to be major turning points? And I thought about this. The darkest day in all of history took place in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, when that serpent came to Adam and Eve and deceived them into sinning, and sin entered the world. But I also realized as I thought through that the most hopeful day that ever took place in the course of history was that first Christmas day, whenever Christ entered the world. And when you think about those two events, they really collided on the most glorious event of all, which was that first Easter, when Jesus Christ was crucified, buried for three days, and rose from the grave to purchase our salvation. And really and truly, no two events really turned history so much as that first Christmas in that first Easter. You can almost think about it like D-Day and V-Day. That day whenever suddenly the tide turned in that day when we have victory in Christ. Well, between now and Christmas, what I want to do is I want us to study Isaiah chapter 9. You can go ahead and turn there. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Um, over the next six or seven weeks, we're going to look at this, this passage. It's a passage that, that was written by the prophet Isaiah about 700 or so years before Christ. But even though it was 700 or so years before Christ was born, God gave Isaiah a clear vision, a clear picture of both the state of the world and also the identity of our Savior and King. And so over these next several weeks leading up to Christmas, I want us to answer that question. Who is this King that we worship? Who is this King that we serve? Who is this Jesus that we have given our lives to? And so let's read Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. We're going to read down through verse 7. And then today we're mostly just going to focus on the first couple of verses. It said in verse 2, it says, "...the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil." of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Who is this king that we worship? What I want us to see this morning, I want us to look at really that first verse mainly today. And the first thing I want us to see is that what Isaiah is telling us here is that the world dwelt in spiritual darkness. And I would say still, in a way, dwells in spiritual darkness. Verse 2, Isaiah wrote that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now who's he talking about here? I told you a minute ago that the darkest day in all of history was that day in which Adam and Eve were deceived into sinning by the serpent. The curse of sin entered the world. A barrier went up between us and God, between man and God, and the entire world was plunged into spiritual darkness. Throughout Scripture, we see this image that darkness represents sin. First, for instance, John chapter 3, verse 19 It says, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In Psalm 82, 5, it says, the wicked have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. We live in the midst of a world that is covered in the darkness of sin. And unfortunately, many don't even realize it. Many don't even know it. it. Have you ever found yourself in a room... um, and the lights go out suddenly and you don't realize, it. you didn't know it was about to happen. And you know, the power goes out suddenly and all of a sudden you, you don't know where anything is. Um, I remember back whenever I was uh, probably I think about 12, um, our family took a trip to Chattanooga for a vacation. And at some point in that vacation we went to a, a cave called the Lost Sea in Sweetwater, Tennessee. Some of y'all have been there, I'm sure. And I still remember this, I was 12 years old, so however many years ago that was, 27 years ago almost um, I remember that we got down in that cave and there was a point in that tour in which they said, okay, if you've got small children, grab them by the hand. And they shut the lights out down in this deep, dark cave. And uh, you could not see anything. There was no other source of light. There was nothing. You could not see your hand in front of your face. It was disorienting. You lose track of where everything is. It was, it was actually, uh, for, especially for a kid, it was a little disturbing, a little scary. You know, if you're in a room and the lights go out like that and there's no other source of light, you, you, might try, you might find yourself stumbling around trying to do something that would be very simple in the light, right? You might find yourself staggering toward a door, you know, feeling around for things, that, things that you would do normally very easily if the light was on. Well, that's exactly what has happened in this world since spiritual darkness has come. Since sin has entered the world, men have stumbled around trying to make sense of things trying to make, find their way out of the darkness, and they've created all sorts of ways to do so, all sorts of false religions and, and religious traditions and, and ideas for how that man can find his way out of the darkness, but it's all been for nothing. Now, don't misunderstand me. Yes, good things happen, and even sinful people do nice things. But no matter the amount of good, no amount of good can undo the darkness of sin. You know, before I met Christ as my Savior at the age of 10, I was among those people walking around in the darkness. And in fact, that's all of us. We all were. The Bible tells us that sin is a universal problem. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the last time I checked in the dictionary, none means none and all means all. We have all been affected by sin. We've all been cursed by sin. Now that sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? Sounds pretty helpless. All have sinned. All dwell in a land of darkness. No one can find their way out on their own. We all need some kind of answer. Well, the great news is God knew our problem. And in knowing our problem, even in our sin, the Bible tells us that God sent the light. Look in... In Isaiah 9-2, again, it says, The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Have any of you ever been up north to see the northern lights? Anybody in here? One of these days, we want to make the trip up there. I've seen pictures, I've seen video of it all, but I'm sure that doesn't really do it justice um, I, I want to see it for myself. I want to see it for my own eyes to see that light begin to dance across the sky almost miraculously. It almost seems magical that this light suddenly appears. And we know why it happens, but obviously it still just looks spectacular um, in all the videos I've seen. Well, God saw our spiritual darkness and he made a way to send the light. A miraculous way to send the light. You know, it's interesting when I read this that Isaiah is speaking in past tense about what is yet to come. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And he wasn't confused. Don't think that Isaiah is mistaken here in thinking that Jesus had already come. That's not what he's saying. He understood, Isaiah understood because of the grace of God in that moment to tell him that God had already been at work that ever since man had sinned, God had been bringing about a day in which the light would begin to shine again, in which the light would enter the world. And that light that Isaiah is speaking of is not a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus. Take your Bible. Turn over to John chapter 8. Actually, go to John chapter 9. John at 7, 8, and 9 is really kind of one big scene. And in, in John 8, Jesus does he makes this statement. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 8:12, um, and I've got to thinking about why would Jesus say that? Why would He make that statement in that moment? If you were to go back to John chapter seven verse two, you would read that the Jews at that time were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, um, and that was the, that was the feast in which they were to remember God's provision for them while they were in the wilderness during the Exodus, that that time when they had fled from Egypt. And they were wandering in the wilderness. That was a feast to celebrate the fact that God had provided for them through that time. And during that feast, the Israelites would have two very significant, um, very big ceremonies. One which involved water, one which involved lights. And the one that was involving light was called the illumination of the temple. And in the center of the treasury, there would be these four giant torches that would reach all the way to the tops of the walls. And there would be a point in that ceremony in which the, the priest would light those torches and then others would dance around and they would celebrate. And they were celebrating the pillar of fire that had led the Israelites in the night. You remember that? Back in the book of Exodus, when God would send the pillar of fire and that would tell them when to set out and to move, they, they would do that as a remembrance of what God had done. And it was likely right in the middle of that celebration when here they are dancing around with these torches, remembering the pillar of fire, that Jesus stood up in John eight twelve and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You can imagine the illustration there. You can imagine the the connection that would immediately be made when here are the Israelites dancing around and celebrating this light, this pillar of fire, and Jesus says, Hey, you know what? You know that light that led you in the wilderness? That was me. I am the light. And I think you can probably see the connection to Isaiah chapter 9. He He says, The people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. God had promised that a light was coming, and now He has come. And in that statement, Jesus was not just saying he was the light, he was saying that he was God. He was claiming to be God himself. You know, just as scripture uses darkness to represent sin, it uses light to represent God and the things of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, same author says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. Jesus, our King, is declaring Himself to be God. He's declaring Himself to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He is the light who has come to the people living in darkness. Now, not long after that moment, Jesus gets chased out of the temple. The Pharisees get upset with Him. They try to stone Him. They, 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 they you know, kind of get their way out of the temple. Jesus gets away from them. Um, unharmed, and, but on his way out, Jesus finds the perfect opportunity to demonstrate what he's been trying to tell these people. John chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus finds a man. It says, as he passed by in verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, this was no coincidence. The Lord orchestrated this, and Jesus is about to use this man as a living illustration of his ability and identity as the light. I mean, here is a man who is walking around in physical darkness, a man who has been blind from birth. And this man is about to see the light of the world, and it's about to change his life. Look in verse 1, it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I think Jesus did this because he wanted to, to show us that we are this man. I think when we think about this blind man, I, this blind beggar, I think he's a representation of all of us who, who were walking in darkness, saw the light, and our lives were changed. Let's think about this for a minute. First of all, that man that we talk about here, he was blind from birth, we read. We don't know how they knew this. We don't know ex- other than the fact that God, Jesus just knows all things. But the disciples turned to Jesus And they say to him, you know, what, you know, how come this guy's blind? You know, what caused this? He was blind from birth. Thing is, we're all blind spiritually. We're born that way. We've inherited the sin of Adam. We're cursed. There's no person that's walking around in here, no person that's walked the face of this earth with the acceptance of Jesus Christ that was not cursed by sin. This man was blind from birth, and so were we. Secondly, I would say this, be that that Jesus finds this man outside the temple. Now, why would he be outside the temple? Because the Jews banned him from the temple. Because of the fact that he was blind, they assumed that either he had sinned or his parents had sinned, and they would deem this man ceremonially unclean. He was spiritually unclean. You can kind of hear the condescension in the disciples' words, who sinned that this man was born blind? Is it this guy's fault or is it his parents' fault? And as a result of that fact that he was blind, the Jews would have banned him from the temple, which to them represented the presence of the Lord. Now that seems unfair, I know, but it does represent a spiritual reality. In our sinful state, we are all shut out from God's presence. Isaiah 59 says there is a wall between you and God and that wall is sin. Sin is a wall. It separates us all. C, the man was a beggar. This isn't just a blind man, he's a blind beggar. In that day and age, there wasn't anything he could do to fix this situation. He couldn't work, he couldn't earn money, all he could do was beg. In our sinful state, there is nothing we can do to fix our own selves. We cannot fix our own blindness, we cannot make it work for ourselves. But here's the good news, D, that this man hears Jesus' words, he believes in faith, and he obeys. Jesus sees this guy. His disciples ask this question, um, and and Jesus turns and says, no, this guy didn't sin, neither did his parents sin. He's like this way, because so the works of God can be shown. In other words, God has orchestrated that this guy would be here so that Jesus could demonstrate the fact that he is the light of the world. And then get what he does. He he, he takes this, this mud, which he has made out of his own spit. He makes a mud pie out of his own spit, slaps it in his face, and tells him to go wash. It almost sounds like a cruel joke, doesn't it? It almost sounds like, like some kind of bad practical joke. But the man believes. He's never seen Jesus. He's never met Jesus. And he just gets mud smeared in his face and he believes. He believes in faith and he obeys and he goes and he washes himself. Let me tell you, it seems ridiculous to the world to put our faith in a man who was supposedly crucified and rose from the grave. But that's what faith is. Believing in something, even when everyone around you, everything around you says that's foolish. The Bible tells us that Jesus is a stumbling block to the unwise, to the fools. I mean, who would believe such a thing? But that's why salvation requires faith. And the word of God. And because of his faith, last thing, because of his faith, he sees the light, both spiritually and physically. The man has this mud spirit on his face. He goes and does exactly what Jesus says. And the Bible says he comes back seeing. He obeys in faith and is healed. When we place our faith in Christ and the work that he can do to cleanse our hearts, we can be healed healed and we can experience new life only through Christ. But how do you do that? Third thing I want to say this morning is that you must do something about the light. We have to do something. We have to receive the light. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you were living in spiritual darkness and you may not even realize it. You may not even know it. In fact, it may be kind of like, you know, when you go into a dark room, eventually your eyes begin to kind of adjust to the darkness and you just kind of get used to it and suddenly you think you can see everything. You know, in a sense, I believe that many who are lost, that's how it is. They've been in the dark so long, their their eyes of their heart have simply adjusted to it and they think that they can see things clearly. They think they've got it figured out. And that's the thing about darkness, it fools you. It tricks you. I remember several years ago, um, my family and I, we went over to uh, Hardy, Arkansas, and we stayed at a friend's cabin out in Hardy, Arkansas for a weekend just to get away. And we left town after the boys got done with school that day, and we got there. It was way past dark, you know, when we got into the cabin. And uh, we, we pull up to the cabin, and it's dark at the cabin, and, and uh, we, we unload the truck. We get in the, in the cabin, and we go to bed. In my, in my mind's eye, I had a picture of, of what things looked like outside the cabin, where the river was, which way the water was flowing, all this kind of stuff. I thought in my mind's eye I had this kind of figured out. And then the sun came up and it was nothing like what I thought it was. In fact, I thought the river was running from right to left and instead it was running from left to right. Um, I'm glad I wasn't trying to sail a boat to the ocean or anything like that. I never got there. Um, But the darkness had me fooled. I thought I knew what things looked like, but I didn't because the darkness had me fooled. And let's be real honest and say that today, if you're walking around in spiritual darkness, some people don't want to come into the light. Some people don't want to be in the light. For some who are in spiritual darkness, that light seems disorienting. It it seems, what seems helpful to them seems hurtful. seems dangerous. I remember back whenever um, Kim and I first got married, I guess it was about six months or so after we first got married, we were living in an apartment. Um, over in Cordova, and it was late one night. We were in bed, and um, have you ever... I was laying in bed, and uh, we had an alarm clock next to our bed, Um, and I remember, um, like, I was laying there, I was kind of half asleep, half awake, and I saw this light go in my eye. And what had happened was the power had gone out for, like, just like that, just long enough to reset my clock. You know, and and so in that moment, I'm like, oh, great. Now, you know, because we're both, Kim's asleep, she's hard asleep, and and I was trying to get to sleep, and I knew we had to get up for work the next day, and so I thought, well, now i got to get up and try to reset the clock. Well, she's sleeping. I don't want to wake her up. And so I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do here? I can't see the buttons on the clock. I can't figure out how to reset this clock on my own. So um, being a newly married husband, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be super sweet. I don't want to wake her up. And so I thought, okay, I'll go, I'll I'll figure this out. I'll get up and I'll try to do something. I'll change this clock without her seeing it. So I walk, this is my first mistake. I walk into the kitchen um, and I decide I'm going to get my flashlight. And so I came walking back into into the bedroom with this flashlight here. Um, This is back before iPhones, obviously, when everybody had a flashlight on their phone, obviously. And so I decide I'm going to come back in the bedroom with this flashlight. And so I walk in the room with this flashlight. I don't have it on yet. But then I get right to the bed and I'm standing there on the clock and I thought to myself, okay, self, if I turn this light on, she's going to see the light and then she's going to wake up and then all this is going to be for nothing. And so I thought, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I got it. I got it. I'm going to take a pillow, and I'm going to put a pillow up next to her face so that I can turn the light on and not wake her up. Um, Genius idea, right? Sounds like an absolute perfect idea, correct? And so that's what I did. I I, I get this flashlight, and and I've got it in my hand. I take my pillow, and I begin to put my pillow next to her face, and I've got the flashlight in my hand. And right as I did that, Kim wakes up. And you can imagine the reaction in her face when she sees this shadowy figure coming at her with a pillow in one hand and a maglite in the other. Um, she did not react the way I anticipated. Uh, it was not a very kind reaction. In fact, I, probably, I might not be able to say the words she said in here. and no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but she was not happy with me in that moment. What was helpful seemed hurtful because of the darkness that even though I had a light in my hand, it was, seemed dangerous. Some of, some of you today who may be lost, you may think, I don't, I don't want to come into the light. I, I don't want to come to Jesus. I, I don't want... Because that thought comes in your mind that your sin is going to be exposed. You're going to be shown to be a fraud, a fake, a failure. And it's easier to hide those faults in the darkness... It's easier to get away with those things and people not realize who you really are you don't want to be real you don't want to be honest you don't want to be open Um, you don't want people to know that your life ain't all together and you think i just got to keep hiding this ignoring your sin doesn't cause it to go away it only perpetuates the problem and eventually whether it be at your death or whether it be at christ's return you will stand before the light of the world And if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior in this life, you will not stand before Him as your Savior in the next. You will stand before Him as your judge. And you will be judged for your sin. Today, if that describes you, come to the light. The light has come. He does not come to embarrass you. He does not come to shame you. He comes to set you free from your sin. Isaiah 9, 4, this is what it said. It said, The yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Our Lord Jesus Christ breaks the bonds of sin in your life. He sets you free from the oppression that sin brings and gives you a new life. You can have a new life in Christ if only you will receive it. But, you know, I think there's something here, too, we need to see for those of us who are saved. For those of us who are believers, we read this passage about the light coming into the darkness. And let me tell you, there's something for us to do as well. Jesus came as the light and he declares that he is the light. But in Matthew chapter 5, it's going to be on the screen. We read these words. The light of the world looks at us and says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. Jesus, the light of the world, came and fulfilled His mission. He died on the cross, He rose from the grave, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father, awaiting the moment in which the Father says, Go get him." Go gather your children. And until that moment, we have been left with the responsibility to be the light in the midst of the darkness, to cry out, to declare to the world that Jesus is the light of the world, that we might be able to help them find their way out of the darkness and lead them to Jesus Christ. That is our job. That is our responsibility to be the light in the darkness. I think it was back... This past summer, or maybe this summer before last, I remember going outside one night, um, and it was one of those years when the cicadas came, you know? Um, I, I don't know if you live in an area where it's got a lot of woods around, uh, but when the cicadas show up, you don't miss them, right? You know, I don't know that I ever saw one, but boy, I heard them. They just made that that just, I don't, I don't know, I don't really want to call it awful, because it's not really awful, but that just loud noise. It's a constant chirping, you know, on and on. And in our house, whenever a quiet moment would come at night, which is very rare, um, but when a quiet moment would come, you could hear them from inside the house. And if you ever stepped outside, it was just like this deafening roar um, of these things. And I never saw one, but boy, I sure heard them. And and I noticed one night when I went outside um, something really interesting. It was almost as if they sang in absolute unison. Their song would rise and would fall. Together as one. Here were these creatures that are sitting in the darkness, these insects that are sitting in the darkness. I'm assuming they can't see each other because they're in the midst of the darkness. But yet their song is crying out as one in perfect unison. We are the light sitting in the darkness. We are surrounded by spiritual darkness. But the Lord has left us here that we would sing out His name in unison, that we would declare to the world around us that Jesus is the light of the world, and that if you would receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you too can come into the light. That is our job as a church. Would you pray with me? Father God, we cannot say thank you enough for sending the light of the world into the darkness that we might be saved that we might come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and step into the light. Father, if there's someone here today who has never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be that day they would step into the light. I pray that today would be that day that they would realize that they are walking in spiritual darkness, that their life has been cursed by sin. And that the only cure for that curse is the blood of Jesus. I pray that that individual would realize that Jesus came and did all the work for them. They don't have to jump through hoops. They don't have to do things to earn their salvation. They simply have to place their faith in the light of the world. Ask Jesus to forgive them of their sin. Make Him the Lord. Of their life. I pray that if there's someone today who needs to make that decision, that today would be that day. And Father, for us as a church, I pray that we would live as a reflection of the light. That we through our lifestyle, through our words, through our actions, through our testimonies, that we would declare to this dark world that Jesus is has come. The light has come to the midst of the darkness, and He has come to set the captive free. Father, if there are decisions that need to be made today in this time of invitation for salvation, for church membership, rededication, I pray that today would be the day of freedom. The day in which we would walk in perfect obedience to You. It's in Christ's name we do pray these things stand as we sing.